God speaks to us in his word in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each, of, each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Who, he who descended is the one who also ascends far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emily. All right. Good morning. Cool. Everybody's super stoked to be here, man. You guys are on fire today. I told the first service, like, man, you guys are all sleepy bears. I'm a sleepy bear too. It's all good. Hey, this is a really special day for me. Uh, he's probably going to hate that I do this, but... Um, one, a man that has served God a long time in this county and in this town has done so much, um, has pastored me at times, been really helpful to me in, in an anxious time. And um, I just want to take time to recognize, look, we're, we're a church that supports other churches, man, and not all churches are the same. Uh, but I want to take time to recognize a very godly man and woman, Paul and Barbara Calmes. I just want to say thank you for your years of service in this town. And can we just thank God for them? Because they really are wonderful people. You didn't even know I knew you were here, did you? See there? Uh, I hope you come back. I'm so sorry to embarrass you like that. All right. Ephesians, uh, we'll be in Ephesians 3 and mostly in Ephesians 4 today. And um, I just wanted to take some time today to see what the Bible says to us about um, what this place is. And when I mean this place, I mean the church. Because my, my hunch is that we're kind of slowly forgetting. We've been in a serious fog over the last two years. There's social anxiety everywhere. People kind of forgot how to like do communal things, you know. Everybody's, and we just kind of trip out, man, about spending time with each other, institutions. We, um, most everyone at this point, most people were skeptical of institutions before um, craziness happened over the last two, three years, four years. 
Um, but then pandemic hit, other craziness. And now before, uh, more than any other time, we are skeptical of institutions. And just skepticism itself just kind of runs rampant in our heart. It's like the thing that the enemy used to tempt Adam and Eve away from trusting God. Surely he did not say, if you ate this apple, that you would this, this, and that you would uh, die. Surely he did not say that. You will not surely die. If you eat this apple, you'll know what he knows. It's the lie in the garden. It's you'll become God. And we're still chasing our tail with that lie. Skepticism, man. It's like, well, we can't trust God. We can't trust people. We can't trust each other. We can't even trust institutions. We can't trust the church. And my hunch is that we really need a refresher on why we're here, why this thing matters, why the church matters, because it does. And I'm gonna say it, man, it, this is totally true. There is nothing more important in the history of humanity, nothing than the church. There's no event outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which was the start of the church, there is nothing that has ever happened or that will happen that is more important than the church. It is the plan for God to bring his kingdom on earth, the plan. Even the institution of the church, visible and invisible church, the visible church, which is people in this room, Christians, the invisible church, all the people that you don't know about that are Christians, Jesus wrote the blueprints for this thing. He's the head of the body and it matters. So we're gonna talk about that today. I want us to get our hearts right about what the church is as we approach the new year. So I wanna read this first and then we'll move on from there. Ephesians three, this is the apostle Paul telling us what the church is. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone Listen to this. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's manifold Wisdom, the wisdom of God, the plan for the mystery hidden for ages has to get out somehow. People have to find out about it. You would agree. It's not right for it to be hidden. This mystery, this plan, God draws up a plan. He doesn't draw it up, it's his eternal plan, always a part of him. Jesus is the head of the body, the plan is that through the church, the wisdom of God would be preached to the world. Not nonprofits, although we love nonprofits in this church, man, we do. We've got several people that direct them, we love, but the manifold wisdom of God is not coming through them. It's not gonna come through education. It's not gonna come through the government. It's not coming through a country or a region in the United States or a family tradition. The manifold wisdom of God is coming through 
the church. It is hyper important. Today, Sundays are hyper important. What we do the six days between each Sunday is hyper important. On an eternal level, it matters what happens in the church and it matters what you do in the church, how you treat people and how you receive from people. Let me just say what's obviously known in this room. There's all kinds of church hurt. Church hurt is some of the worst hurt imaginable. It's hard. People let you down. Um, you let people down. That's some of the worst hurt in the world is when you don't measure up. I get it, man. But there's no plan B. This is God's plan for his kingdom to come on earth is through tired, grumpy, annoyed, impatient, messy people. <laughs> so we need to check our idealism at the door with what this is supposed to be. And we need to live in reality today. And the only reality we can have is through this book because this book is reality. This is where the rubber meets the road with what's real versus what my ideal of things should be. So let's jump in, man. God's triune, the triune God's sermon to the world comes through the church. And if that's true, um, his sermon about his wisdom comes through you, then you are the preacher. <laughs> Welcome. You didn't have to have a degree to become a preacher now. You're the preacher. You are the mouthpiece of God's wisdom and his kindness and his goodness to the whole world. So we need to jump in. If that's true, if Ephesians 3 is true, the manifold wisdom of God, then we need to learn exactly how we should live. So first things first, in Ephesians 4, we'll be in there the rest of the time. How should we live? The first is this, treat each other like someone who follows Jesus. Treat each other like someone who actually follows Jesus. I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The people of God are a set apart people, which means this, you have been bought. And in order to follow Jesus, you have to, according to Luke 9, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And denying yourself means that you are now set apart. The Bible tells us that we're set apart, we're different. So there's a whole like the way the whole world works and the way the church works, you, the saints of God, the church, Christians, imperfect, but you, that should look different than the way the world operates. And in the world, Treating other people like you want to be treated is just not something that happens. The whole earth is looking out for themselves. A number one, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to do me. Don't tell me to be anything other than me, which changes every month. You ever notice that? We are so adamant about being exactly who we uniquely are supposed to be. And then check back with me at like, January 1, 2023, I'll guarantee you I've changed my mind about who I actually am. So adamant about it. Let me be me, man. I need all the freedom I can have. Self-autonomy, let me just do that. I'm gonna be me, I'm gonna chill. I don't need you to tell me to be anything other than that. That's the whole world, man. This arrogance attached to how we live. It's, 
I know what's best for me. I can be God. I don't need you to tell me anything otherwise. It's pride. We need to be set apart, not just in the way that we view ourselves, not just in the way that we try and triumph over sin, but also in the way that we treat each other. All of a sudden, instead of me brushing against you, telling me how I should be or keeping me accountable or whatever, the church needs to embrace those things. I need to invite you to speak into my life. It's almost as if you might know things that I don't. Imagine that. The foundation of our defensiveness is that ultimately we are offended that someone could actually possibly know something that we don't know. At the end of the day, everybody's just mad that they're not perfect. What's also interesting is everybody thinks that they are. I'm, pre- I'm telling you, this whole sermon is me preaching directly to me. We need each other. We need to be different than the world. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Proud versus humble. The Greeks, um, they did not, they hated the term humility. Nobody would actually admit, I think today, to hating humility. I mean, any athlete, you know, you see, stay humble, be humble, and all your successes, I love that. The Greeks was one of the only societies to say that they hated humility. It was not accepted societally. Humility for them literally meant lowliness in mind. Lowliness in mind. The Greeks and all their philosophies and training and education, for someone to be lowly in mind, for them, essentially, they would see humility as, well, you're just dumb. (laughs) That's how they would view humble people. They hated the concept of humble. They never used it. Never use it in a context of approval or admiration. Imagine that, flipping that word to now offend someone by calling them humble. You're humble, lowly in mind. John Stott says this when he describes humility, the humble recognition and value of other people and their thoughts. This lowliness in mind, what you're saying essentially is the flip of that. You are recognizing someone else's thoughts You're recognizing them. You're doing what Romans 12 says that we should do. You're outdoing one another and showing honor. That's humility. It's essentially this. I haven't figured it out. I have not cornered the market on how I should think about everything. I need people to help me do that. And by God's grace, he's given me people to help me do that. That's humility. It's not assuming or assigning motives. Humility. It's gentleness over aggression. It's patience over annoyance. Patience over annoyance. It's hard for us. By us, I mean, it's hard for me. Think about the base root of annoyance. What are you annoyed at? Do you ever go past that, like, just your initial annoyance? You just get mad that someone doesn't do or say something that you think they should do or say? What's that rooted in? Pride. Why? Because I think that you should think the way that I think. And guess what? I'm not even going to tell you what I think. I'm just going to get mad when you don't think exactly like I think. And then I'm going to get mad when you don't act 
on your thoughts that I think you should have from my brain. And then I'm annoyed that you haven't thought like I thought and then acted on the way that I think, the way that I would act on my thoughts. I'm mad that you cannot read my mind and then act the exact way that all of my mind and heart and soul would tell me how to act. That's annoyance. Patience requires humility. Bear with one another. Bear with one another in love. The world has little time for people they don't respect or get along with. We're called to something greater. We need to fight to maintain peace. Be eager, eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace. Verse three. If I were to, um, if I were to tell you, I've got, I've got $10 million for you, cash, just for you. There's only one caveat. You have to stay through this whole service but as soon as we are dismissed, you have to be the first one out the door. There can be nobody else that passes you out the door. And this is free for all. Whichever one of you is the very first one out the door, $10 million cash money. Just a little like social experiment here. Would you be eager? Would you be eager to get up out this mug? Yeah. Don't give me all of that, you know. Don't act like you're all, you know, prude and, you know, like super virtuous all of a sudden. You know good and dang well that you would be right up out this door fast and you'd probably throw some elbows along the way. $10 million, be eager to get out the door. This is the same word. It's interesting to think about it in that way. Be eager to maintain unity. Be eager to maintain it in the bond of peace. Fight for it. This is not a passive thing. Fight. Fight for unity. It's interesting the Bible tells us to fight for unity. It doesn't tell us to create unity. How is that? Because there is a bond of peace in you. That is Jesus. Jesus is the common denominator. You have unity because of Christ with the church. No matter what they act like or look like or whatever. You're unified. Fight. Be eager to maintain it. Fight to maintain unity. Which is my second point. Fight for unity. One body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Seven times the word one is used in those two verses. There's no do-overs. One body, one spirit. It's called the church. It's perfectly designed by God himself. The reason it's not perfect is because we are the ones that implement the design and you are by far, in a way, not perfect. He's not looking for a plan B. There's no do-overs. This is the plan. It's comprised of people that are really messy and annoying. It's not your plan. It's God's plan. Being in the church requires one thing that we all hate, submission to one another and submission to authority. And you have to remember this. I'm telling you on my behalf, but also for me. Everyone that God has asked you to submit to in authority, those people's hearts are wicked and deceitful above all. That's what Jeremiah says about everybody's heart. Wicked and deceitful above all, who can know it? The, 
me, I'm telling you for me and every pastor here, every leader, every whoever, your people that sit next to you, just members in the church, that person desperately, desperately needs a savior. They desperately need a savior. They're broken. So are you. Submit to authority. It's not, you're not submitting to perfect people. You're actually submitting to Jesus by submitting to authority. Jesus is the one who's perfect. One hope, one faith, one baptism. This is our rally point that Jesus alone is our hope, one God and Father of all. The third thing is this, got two more things. One, in the church, everybody's a minister. Every single body is a minister. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And down in verse 11, and he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Notice it says this, grace is given to each of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is saving grace, no doubt, but it's also, it's not just saving grace, it's also grace to serve with. So it's, it's serving grace as well. Everybody's a minister. The Holy Spirit is the giver and the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Basically what Paul is saying here is everybody who has any function in the church at all, any form of leadership, any form of gift enactment, anything, everybody's job is to equip each other to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. This flies in the face of Oklahoma uh, church polity. It's called ecclesiology, the way that we, that theological term, that's the way that we think about, the way that we sort of act out the church. This flies in the face because here's what Oklahoma, here's what we struggle with. We have a pastor, it's his job to be a professional Christian. He does all the work, he never says anything weird, which if you've been in this church and stayed in this church for more than like two minutes, you'll have thrown that out the door. Because I, sometimes I embarrass myself. Like, anyway. Um, he does all the work. He is the minister. He is the preacher. He preaches. He, he does all the visits. He does all the work of ministry. We're basically, we're gonna throw money at this guy, man. We're gonna pay him to, to like be at Christ for me. Be a Christian on my behalf, he, he actually, we're gonna, he's supposed to, we think he just sleeps at the church probably. He just lives up there, you know. I'm telling you right now, man, you're gonna be sorely disappointed. I'm just not doing it. I ain't doing it. You know what I am? I'm a dude. That's what I am. I'm a dude. I need Jesus to save me worse than any of you. I need Christ. I have a role in this church. My role is different than your role. My role is to be pastor. That's my role. You have a role that's just as important as my role. Your role is to be a minister in the church. My job is to equip you to be ministers in the church. Your job is to equip each other. This is the best job description of all time. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. The end. That's everybody's job description in the church. Who are the saints? The saints are every Christian. 
Every single Christian. That when the Bible call, talks about saints in the church, it's not talking about those who have been recognized by a universal church as when given sainthood. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about literally every Christian, whether young or old or new or in beginning stages or mature or whatever, every Christian is a saint. My job, your job as well, is to equip each other. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry. Western church culture, pastors do, do all the actual work of ministry. I just sit back and get frustrated when I don't like what they do. Man, this fires me up. Not just because I'm covering myself. It just fires me up. It's so unbiblical. Everybody's an armchair quarterback. It's easy to have opinions on stuff that you won't get your hands dirty on. I mean, just self-put, like, and this is not, we don't actually, our church is very healthy. We don't actually really struggle with this, but I, want, I just wanna keep it in front of us. Don't complain. Don't complain. Especially if you won't do anything to change it. It's interesting how the people that complain the most are the ones that are most distant from the actual work. Trust me, man. Get in and work. We got people in this church right now that are former directors of ministry. I'm so glad that they're here. It's just like, blesses me that, Former directors of ministry, I bet you they don't complain about the ministries they used to direct. They are the biggest champions. Pastors in the room, former pastors, men, those guys, if they follow Jesus still, they're the biggest encouragement. I have, I used to have so many strong opinions about lead pastors and preachers before I became one. And now I'm like just the opposite of that. It's hard being a pastor. It's hard preaching the Bible, man. Let's hold each other up. Fight to maintain the unity and the bond of peace. You are a minister. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry. Your job is to pursue the work of ministry in the church. Everybody's a minister. And then finally this, everybody's a disciple. Every single body. The quickest, most dangerous and quickest road to walking away from God is to assume that you have arrived at a place with him. Assuming that you have arrived and that you don't need discipleship anymore. We're all, by the way, we're all pulled towards this. I'm very much like, will you just give me a point and let me just get to that point and then we'll be good and I'll move on to the next thing. Discipleship's not that. It will never be that until you die or until the Lord returns. That's glorified body. Discipleship is this. It's consistently, always, no matter who you are, no matter how many years you've been doing it, no matter what your experience, it's saying, I need to grow. I need to grow. I need to confess sin. I need people to help me grow. The best men that I've, some of the best men that I meet in my life are men that have been doing pastoral work ministry for years and years and years and how I know that they actually did it for Jesus and they actually follow Jesus is the older they get, the more teachable they become. I look at, I just, it's so interesting to have Paul Calmes and Pastor Pat in the room with me, you know, just two great examples to me of men that wanna follow Jesus and I think about Pastor Pat, who all you guys know is, has served years and years as an elder, was an elder for years in a, another church, came over here and and I've been through lots of hard things, him and Kim both, and Pat's uh, a godlier man than I am. Pat's 
um, a thousand ways a better leader, just, a, just an incredible pastor. And um, one thing that I admire the most about Pastor Pat is, which I did this in the first service, by the way. He's, I was like, he's gonna punch me in the nose after the first service. Now, even more, I'm probably gonna get a forearm shiver after this service. But um, one of my favorite things about him, Kim both, is, is um, 20, he's got 20 years-ish on me, um, 20 years of life, 20 years of walking with Jesus. But he is so teachable and so humble. And the thing that I keep saying is like, man, you never get to a point where you arrive. You just, you always have to keep growing. I love that, man. Everybody's a minister. Everybody's a disciple. If you are called here, you are supposed to be discipled here imperfectly with imperfect people. But be discipled. Be discipled. You can actually learn from people that are 30, 40 years younger than you or 20 years younger than you or two months older than you or just the exact same age, born the same day, same year, same time. You get a lot to learn from people around you. Press on to maturity. I love Paul. Paul would be the best Christian in the room by far if he came in, the Apostle Paul. And um, he said in Philippians 3, he, he said, I press on towards the upward call of Christ. People love to quote that, but we never get to Christ. What is he pressing on towards? the upward call of Christ. And then Paul, the apostle Paul says, make sure to say it multiple times in that chapter, Philippians 3, not that I have attained it, but I press on. Just in case you are wondering if I've already achieved it, I have not achieved it. The apostle Paul, I mean, you've got Jesus who is the first and the last, the alpha and omega. He is the head of the body. And then you've got like, his disciples, the 12 that he chose. And then, and then there's Paul, who God uniquely gifted, uh, uniquely made holy as the guy who executes the plan of Jesus for the church. Paul executes it. You never in your life met anybody as holy and mature and godly as the apostle Paul. I guarantee it. Philippians 3, he keeps saying, not that I have attained it. Are you hearing me? Not that I have attained it, I press on though. That's humility. And the last letter that Paul writes, he says multiple times, he goes, even now I'm being poured out as a drink. He's on his deathbed, he's about to go be, be killed. He said, even now I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He's saying, use me, God. Teach me, use me. That's humility. Press on to maturity. This says not being tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine. What are the signs of maturity? How do we practice? Doctrine is this, knowing who God truly is, not your version of him, but who God truly is. Not a God that's made in your image, but who God actually really is. How do I know who God really is? It's simple. I don't, we can't make the font any bigger. I think we would have to use like six different slides to, if we make, this is simple. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not. It is, it is very much not complex though. It's simple. 
please, read your Bible and pray. Read it and pray. Talk about it with each other. Now look, again, this whole sermon I'm preaching to myself. Read your Bible and pray. I love how Romans 12 says that we should be. Do not be slothful in zeal. That word slothful means lazy. Don't be lazy in zeal. Zeal is another word for passion. It's actually more than passion. It's like being a zealot. Do not be lazy with passion, period. Serve the Lord, period. It's Romans 12. I can't remember the verse, but do not be lazy with passion. Do not be slothful with zeal, period. Serve the Lord, period. I love that. Don't waste your life. Ask God for passion for his word, man. Put yourself around people. It's the most important thing you can do. Read the Bible. I'm preaching myself, I promise you, pray. Learn how to pray. Learn how to be a person of prayer, a conversation with God. Invite him into your life. He's there anyway. Open your eyes to him. Set your mind on Jesus. Set your eyes on him. Speak the truth in love, it tells us. What is the truth and how do we know it? Read the book. That book is truth. Truth is definitely not your hot take. It ain't solely based on your life experience. Truth ain't good vibes. It's not your best life. It's not even your worst life. It's none of that. It's not about your life at all. The truth is the Bible. Speak the truth in love, it says. That book is truth. Can we put it? We still got it. Yeah, thank you. You read my mind. Read your Bible. Pray. Don't shy away from giving the truth, living in the truth, or receiving the truth. Let go of your agendas with people. Look, it's not you telling them the truth and being a faithful friend. It's not about them becoming who you want them to be. It's about them growing up in Christ, mature manhood. Typically, in the church, we struggle with all this stuff, and I'm about to close out, but 4.1 tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And that's how this whole thing starts. It means oneness, fighting for unity. It means understanding others, fighting to maintain unity with each other, actively promoting oneness, peace, humility, meekness, gentleness. It means love and truth. Jesus lived in grace and truth. It means love and truth. Those two things are not separate from each other. They're, they go together. And then it means using your gifts to serve the body. I hate the statistic. I hate that it's true. I'm telling you, I hate what I'm about to tell you, but this is a true statistic. 20% of the people usually do 80% of the work. That is so jacked up. That's so messed up. It's not just that, 20% of the people in the church usually give 80% of the finances or whatever. That means that only 20% of the church is faithfully following Jesus with their money. We are not doing that here. We're not. 20% of people doing 80% of the work, that's a... I hate that, man. That's like a universal statistic for the church. Please, 
I'm just telling you, we're not going to do that here. We need to be disciples and ministers. That's you, that's you, and that's me. That's what the church is. Don't be lazy with passion. Don't be slothful with zeal, period. Serve the Lord, period. <laughs> There's no other way to do it. And what's the result of that? We press on to our maturity. We know the Bible. We serve the Lord. Here's what it says, happens, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every point with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is so interesting. I think church growth books are helpful on some level maybe. You can go to any Christian bookstore and find a whole wall of them. But it is a simple deal. If we do Ephesians 4, if we do that, the church will grow. You grow and people grow and people get saved and the church grows. That is God's design for the church. So my invitation today is simply this. One, there's a lot of you, or there's some of you at least maybe in here that don't know Jesus and you just came to church because it's that time of year and maybe you just wanted to come and check it out and you have questions about God. Um, you probably didn't expect to hear a sermon on what the church is, but I hope it answers some questions for you today. I would invite you to open your heart up wide. Open it up wide. Listen to what God is doing. Listen to what the church is. Jesus is the head. Maybe there's a lot of you in the room that are very skeptical about the church. You've got church hurt and there's nothing worse than that. I wanna invite you to open your heart. Be a part of it. And then for the rest of us that are part of this church, members, whatever, let's be people who actually fight to maintain unity. Let's fight for each other. We're about to take communion. We take it every single Sunday here. We call it the table. Some call it Eucharist. This is a means of grace to us. It's a weekly reminder that you are the body and you're about to eat the body and drink the wine together as the family of God. It requires faith to come and take this meal. So if you don't have faith in Jesus, please don't take it today. But if you do have faith in Jesus, let it stir up for you and a repentance to say, I am, man, I'm in it. I'm gonna be a part of the body today. Let's stand and get ready to take it.